This song Charles Manson stole from the Eagles. We're stealing it back. Hey there, everybody. How you doing? You hanging in? I would like to continue my discussion about the word fame. And before I do that, there's something I want to clarify. And it's something that's been bothering me for quite some time now. Okay? And, uh... I was kind of waiting for the right time to kind of like insert it into a snowflake. And I just, I don't want to wait anymore. So here it is. It's about the name Snowflake 33. I am aware, or I should say, I have become aware uh, over the past few months or whatever, that the term snowflake actually has a meaning in our modern culture, especially in America right now. And It's a derogatory name from what I understand, okay? And I just wanted to clarify this right now. The name Snowflake 33 has absolutely nothing to do with anything political whatsoever. There is no connection whatsoever. My reasons for choosing the name Snowflake 33... Um, while there are a host of reasons, and I won't share them all with you because it's unimportant, but I came up with the name Snowflake 33 a long time ago, long before the term snowflake was used in the context that it's being used now. So, having gotten that out of the way, let's jump right back into the discussion. Here we go. I would have to start by explaining something to you. First of all, there are so many uh, people and aspects of this story that I could talk to you about. And I've really had to try to be selective because I can only fit so much in on these snowflake episodes. So, believe me when I say there was a conscious effort to really kind of sift through uh, the more important details. But there is so much more to this story. There were so many things happening simultaneously that I can't fit it all in. Secondly, I would have to explain this to you, that... There were a lot of people that were very supportive of me and what I was doing. And there are so many names, there are so many people that I can't name all of them. I can't talk about all of them. So I'm going to only talk about specific aspects of the story that I really feel are going to move us forward as quickly as we can. So, you know, I had mentioned that when I had gone to New York, there was label interest in what I was doing, but I, you know, I didn't have a live band. I didn't have enough follow-up material, and I certainly didn't have the money to go into the studio and record enough material. I mean, I, you know, I did try. You know, I tried to save my money and, and make it happen. Um... But it, it just didn't. 
And it was kind of like, you know, with that guy who had helped me out making that first demo, it was like the kind of thing where I couldn't keep asking him for free studio time, you know? Um, In hindsight, looking back, of course, I probably should have just gotten my own gear and started it off in that direction, but I, I didn't have it together enough to be doing that. But what I did do was I, you know, I would save my money and I would go into the studio as frequently as I could. And, you know, it really was kind of, in all truth, it was really kind of like a, I just got so lucky with that song and with that demo tape that I was a fool to try to reproduce that. I mean, you know, it just would be stupid. It was just the way the cookie crumbled. You don't have any control over that. It's like you write what comes out and you do what comes out. And if it's good, it's good. And if it's not, it's not. As far as the creative process is concerned, there's no real difference between a great song and a bad song. They're all just a new song at one point, And then they take on a life of their own sometimes. And I just have no control over that. No artist does. Okay, so so I was going into the studio frequently. I was uh, trying to make follow-up material. There was effort, and uh, a lot of it was not so good. But I also, at that same time, started to try to put together a live band. Now, by the time I started to put the live band together, Thumper Incorporated was really kind of like over. But I want to mention this, too. Uh, This is something I found out just recently. Um, Right before Thumper had broken up, we had recorded an album. And all of the work was done in the studio, but we broke up before we could release the album. And um, everybody, myself included, just had kind of walked away from these tapes And just recently, I discovered that the owner of that studio, for whatever reason, had the kindness and the inclination to get those tapes and mix the album and release it to the public. So I had almost totally forgotten that that album was recorded. And I, you know, whatever memory I had of it, certainly it was kind of like a write-off. Like, I just, it was gone. But um, maybe about six months ago, or maybe a little bit longer than that, just by happenstance, I discovered that he had done that, and he had released these songs on Bandcamp. And it was like the nicest thing. You know, actually, it wasn't too bad. I mean, the material wasn't too bad. You can check it out. Just type in, uh, you know, go to Bandcamp and look up Thumper Incorporated. Um, And uh, it was just one of those things like I uh, would never have anticipated that. And it was just so kind and generous. I mean, just nobody was paying him to do it. He just did it out of kindness. And um, it kind of like lets me know that they're. are still some people who care about Thumper Incorporated and, you know, the run that we had and the music that we were making. I mean, it was, it was not all for nothing. 
You know, there, there are still some people out there who cared, even today, which is a nice thing. So, anyway, um, with the whole Thumper Incorporated situation ending, um, I found myself at uh, Fork in the Road, where I had to decide whether I was going to continue as a live drummer or if I was going to go down the, the pipe choir road for a while. And I did. And I, I put together a band, and it was kind of ragtag, and it was kind of like um, for a guy on my budget trying to produce this kind of music I was making in a live setting, it just really wasn't. The, the technology and the resources were just not there for a guy on my budget. I mean, you really needed to have a production and to make it really work and sound great and all that. And I just didn't know what I was doing. I really didn't. I was a drummer. I was not a front man. And it was a nightmare. It was horrible. So, yeah. Okay. I shouldn't say it was horrible. Recently, um, my wife and I, you know, sat down and we watched some live footage of me from back in the day. And it, it wasn't so bad. I remembered it being worse than it actually was. Okay. But... It was really not as strong as it needed to be, and it wasn't going to be. It just, the time it would take, the resources it would take, I just didn't have it. Just didn't have it. You either have it or you don't. You know, I could still write songs, and I could still play guitar and do all that stuff, but I just, it withered on the vine. Which, to me, was just fine, because I've always kind of felt, I mean, I I enjoy playing live and I enjoy the live experience, but um, I've always been the kind of musician that valued the studio performance more than the live performance. I mean, they're, they're two totally separate experiences, and they, they both have value and, and merit. But for me, um, I've always felt that the, uh, the personal listening experience was more important like um when you play a live show uh you play and when the song's over it's gone you know unless someone's bootlegging the concert or whatever but for the most part uh (laughs) nobody cared enough really to be bootlegging any concert i've ever played um so once the live performance of a song is ended then the experience is like over but when you have something recorded well and it's on a CD or it's an MP3 or it's a whatever format comes out, um, it's a personal listening experience. It's more intimate and it can be repeated over and over again. So I've always felt that that was more important and I've always enjoyed that more. You know, um, do you know what I mean? Anyway, right around the time uh, the live pipe choir thing was kind of screeching to a halt, because we did maybe about four or five shows, and they just kind of sucked, and that was it. Like, no, this is this is really stupid. And what really kind of ended it permanently was, uh, you know, I was going, like I said, I was going back into the studio regularly to record new material, And the guys in this band that I had put together, not all of them, but some of them, started to kind of protest a little bit. Like, they wanted to be able to come in the studio and play on these songs, and it was just like, 
no. <laughs> no, that's that's not what we're going to do. You know, we're not, we're not going to do that. And that was kind of like, okay, then we're not going to play in the live band anymore. Okay, then I'll just continue doing what I'm doing, which is going in the studio and recording new material. Now, I do have to say here, though, that that was not always the case. That there was actually a guitar player that was in pipe choir and I invited him into the studio with me because he was such a great guitar player and uh, I can say this now with certainty um, he was of all the guitar players I've ever known or ever played with he was the most talented guitar player that I've ever known and um, his name was Pete. I won't say his last name because, again, I haven't asked for permission to say his name. But his name was Pete. And he was young. He was a young kid when I met him. I met him through a friend of mine who was like, oh, I have this friend who plays guitar. He's really good. And I met him and he played for me. And I was like shocked. Like My jaw was on the ground. Like, this guy is so good. And like I said, he was just a young kid. But he was the most talented guitar player. And, I mean, he had great chops. He had great ability. He had good taste. He had great tone. And uh, I had asked him, actually, to play in Thumper Incorporated. Our guitar player uh, was kicked out. And he was replaced by this young kid. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I remember playing a, a show... One night, it was a pretty big show, and um, uh, it was the night of uh, Pete's prom, so he thought it was pretty cool, and it was actually pretty funny. Like He had to have the limo with him and his date pull up to the club. We had his gear set up for him, and he jumps up on stage with a tux on, plays a concert. <laughs> gets back in the limo and then it goes to prom. You know, that actually happened. <laughs> How's that for dedication? Anyway, he um, was rock solid. He re liked to rehearse. He liked to practice. And uh, he could just play anything. I mean, whatever he came up with on top of anything I would make up was just always so much better than anything I could have come up with myself I mean he was so gifted as a guitar player I'm sure he's probably working uh, as a guitar player somewhere in some way but he was of all of the guitar players that I've ever dealt with or known or anything he was just wow he was really good I mean just saying you know um, yeah anyway he was the only other person that I've ever invited into a recording session with me, for whatever it's worth. It wasn't like I never wanted someone in the studio with me. It was just, um, I guess maybe him and I got along really well, and he didn't really like argue a lot. He just kind of wanted to play. And he wasn't like, here's what I want to do. He was like, what do you want me to play? You know, 
show me what you want me to play or tell me what you want me to play. And that was probably why, or one of the reasons why. I don't like to argue with people, especially when I'm in the creative process. I don't like that. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy deliberation. It's like, I know what I want. Let's just get it done. Now, I know that how I'm talking about bringing other musicians into the pipe choir situation sounds, okay? And I guess I feel it's necessary to clarify a couple of things, okay? I do love to collaborate with other musicians and other artists. I enjoy it a lot. And that is proven by, you know, how many bands I've played in and all the different artists that I've managed to work with over the course of my career. But with Pipe Choir, it's a different kind of thing. It's my expression. And I don't want there to be any interference with that. Does it mean that I would never collaborate? No. That's not what I'm saying. But I find that it's very difficult for me to kind of relinquish that kind of control on this particular project. So, having said that, I also have to say there is a very real part of me and a very big part of me that enjoys collaboration and is open to collaboration. And I'm the kind of uh, musician, even, where... um, If a band situation that I'm in requires me to kind of just be quiet and go where I'm led, I can do that. If the understanding is that this is a collaboration, then believe me, I I have no problem taking a back seat sometimes. Not Not a problem. And I have no problem forfeiting my idea and conceding to someone else's. It's never been an issue for me. I'm very capable of doing that as long as that's the understanding. And when it comes to my work with Pipe Choir, PC1, PC3, or any of the projects that I'm involved with, I just don't want there to be any interference with the transmission of an idea I have to tape, you know, Um, and that's all. You know, I mean, I could probably collaborate with anyone on anything, okay? But when it comes to the work and this thing that I'm so serious about and I care so much about, it really can't just be with anybody. One of the benefits of doing something for a long, long time is you you discover, among many things, you know, who it is right for you to collaborate with and what you need out of someone if you're going to collaborate. I mean, I could probably do a whole Snowflake episode on collaboration because I've done so much of it. I've done it both ways for such a long time. Just saying. Speaking of the live band, around uh, around the same time the live band thing was like happening and like then not happening. Um, here's a cool story. Um, like I mentioned before, my girlfriend and I had broken up. Okay. And 
I was single for like the first time in like five years. Okay. And um, it's a little bit of hope for my fellow nerds out there. Okay. I was working as a kitchen manager in an Italian restaurant. And uh, there were, of course, a lot of waitresses there. And a lot of them were very nice and very friendly and nice looking. But there was this one waitress that started to work there. And she was so drop-dead gorgeous. I mean, all the guys that worked there, and there were a lot of guys that worked there, were all just kind of like like fawning over her, you know? And so one day I decided I'm going to ask her on a date. <laughs> and I did. I asked her on a date and she said yes. She said yes to me, you know? <laughs> and the manager of the restaurant even was like, dude, how did you land a date with her? And I'm like, I just asked her, you know, Uh, really quick, you know, like a lesson in life that sometimes um, when a woman is really beautiful, like so gorgeous that they're like intimidating, um, usually they don't get asked out a lot because everybody either assumes they're taken or they assume that they'll say no. So they don't get asked out a lot. That was something I learned from her. I thought that was kind of strange. It's the opposite of what most people would think. That someone that beautiful, that physically beautiful, could be lonely. Very, very interesting lesson in life. Anyway, so on this date that her and I went on, um, I'll remind you again that this is actually a true story. So we hook up for this date, right? And as soon as we get in the car, bam, you know, the radio comes on and on commercial radio. (laughs) Yes, this is true. My song comes on the radio. And she just looked at me like, this is your song on the radio. That's you on the radio. And I'm just sitting there like, yeah, that's right. That's me on the radio. (laughs) And I was like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The timing was amazing. I was just like so thankful. Thank you for this moment. Like, it'll never happen like this again. But man, if it ever needed to, tonight's the night. And so there you go. True story. I was like the coolest guy at that moment. Like, oh, yeah. Like, everything just clicked. Like, yes, tonight's going to be a great night. And it was. And she was absolutely gorgeous. And she was intelligent and funny. She was a lot of things. She wasn't just pretty and gorgeous. She was a lot of things. So there you go. Yeah, so uh, I think I'll stop there for this episode. And I'll I'll pick it up in the next. Um, I hope you've enjoyed my rambling. For now, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy.